Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then I took the other just as fair, and having perhaps a better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I'm not much for poetry, but I love that old Robert Frost poem. I, uh, I used to think, I remember hearing it for the first time as a kid in school and thinking, boy, I hope I choose the right paths. Boy, I hope I choose the right paths, because that's what made all the difference. But as you read Robert Frost, you realize the paths are all pretty much the same, and, and it is perspective that helps you know you've taken the right path. What I really take from it today, though, is this idea that these these paths are mutually exclusive. He's talking about two ways that we could go, and we can't travel both and be one traveler still. And so there are moments in life where we must choose. We must choose which path we will take. And as a person who struggles with decisions, sometimes I have to realize, you know, I took the path less traveled, and it was okay that I had... Captain Crunch for breakfast this morning. Uh, But uh, it might have been okay if I had oatmeal too. I don't know. Uh, As a person who struggles with making decisions, occasionally it's nice to be reminded. The perspective often reveals, you know, the path is okay, but we we gotta choose sometimes. So we've been exploring the first half of the book of Romans this fall. Last week, I went through what I think is the most controversial chapter of them all, the chapter 7 in, in the book of Romans. I'm not sure if it needs to be as controversial as it is. It just has to be read very carefully. And so last week, I tried to read it very carefully, and I felt like I was jumping around a lot reading it carefully, but I, I think we have to keep in mind what is written in the first part of the chapter when we get to the latter half of the chapter, and I, I hope... I heard people say that they couldn't disagree with me, even though they wanted to disagree with me. I don't know if I heard that. I heard I I didn't disagree with you as much as I thought I might. Uh, So this this week we come to Romans chapter 8, and and this is a chapter that relies on us understanding what has happened in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, remember, Paul talked about the the, the reality that he has, has been able to live choosing the will of God. When, when as human beings, we are so frequently drawn away from the will of God, when we know what the will of God is, we do the opposite, in fact. We, we, uh, in Romans 7, Paul makes it clear that we can choose to do the will of God. We can choose to, to follow God with all of our being. We can choose to, to do what God calls us to do. If we don't get that correctly, if we read Romans 7 incorrectly, Romans 8 becomes a celebration of mediocre Christianity. It becomes a celebration of wishy-washy, half-transformed Christianity. 
and, and it sweeps in under the carpet. And it encourages the mindset that Paul laid out, that Paul tried to correct in Romans chapter 6. Remember Romans chapter 6, Paul corrects the, the question, well, if grace is so great, why wouldn't I just go on sinning so that I can experience more grace? And that's, that, you could read that actually in Romans 8 if you haven't read Romans 7 correctly. So when we get to, to Romans 8, we have to remember that Paul is talking about a life in victory. He's talking about a life that has heard what God wills and says, yes, I want that. And so we'll jump into Romans 8. We're, we're going to be looking at the first 17 verses. I'll start by reading verses 1 through 4. Romans 8, 1 through 4, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. I believe that what we are reading in these first few verses of Romans 8 is the natural outgrowth of where we have been through the book of Romans. As Paul has explained the life of faith, we, we've come to, to this point. Remember, Paul has talked about, about sin and, and our, our bent toward doing what is not the will of God. He's talked about sin and, and the, the reality that we can be forgiven of sin. And, and then, starting in Romans chapter 6 through Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about this idea that we could live in the Spirit. We could live a life where we choose to follow God with all of our hearts by, by our own, even almost our own inclination would become that of, of doing God's will. And, and what Paul is saying here comes very naturally out of what we've read before. In Romans chapter 7, verse 6, we read, now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. And so last week, I've been over it, we, we talked about our, our old human nature uh, needing to be transformed and changed, needing, needing correction. Because Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7 how our human nature is, is uh, well, our human nature made up the saying, rules are made to be broken. Right. So Paul, Paul says, we are drawn like moths to the flame of doing wrong. He says in, in Romans chapter 7, he never wanted anything that belonged to somebody else until he heard that there was a command that said, do not covet. Coveting is wanting something that belongs to somebody else. And then he, he never worried about that before. It was never an issue in his life. But then as soon as he heard a law that said, do not covet, Paul instantly wanted everything that belonged to everybody else around him. He couldn't help himself. He was drawn like a moth to the flame of coveting. And when we live in the, in the, the spirit, as, as Paul is talking about, he, he's saying that we don't have to be drawn like a moth to the flame of sin at every turn. 
We, we, should, we should be reminded, though, at this point, uh, what our definition of sin is, right? Early on in, in these chapters talking about uh, sin, we, we, look, we talked about what we really believe sin is. Because sin isn't just the, the temptation that comes through our minds, right? Sin is when we know what we ought to do and we don't do it. Sin is willfully violating a known law of God. Or sin is, is knowing what we ought not to do and doing it anyway, right? That is, that is what sin is. And what, what I believe Paul is describing here is in, in chapter 7, he says this new way of living in the Spirit or obeying the Spirit. Uh, in chapter 8, he calls belonging to Christ or following the Spirit. It's, it's the ability to finally hear a law of God and say, yes, that sounds better than what I want to do. Yes, that sounds better for me than, than breaking it. It's, it's hearing a law of God and not instantly being drawn like a moth to the flame of doing the opposite of what the law of God is. That, is. that is what Paul says when he says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This is the life that, that hears what God wants and says, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that instead of following what my, my nature would be. That sounds better. God's will sounds better for me than what my, what my inclination would be without God. And so he, he continues to talk about what this life looks like in verses 5 through 8. So Romans 8, 5 through 8, he says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting our sinful nature control our minds leads to death. But letting the Spirit control our mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So in this paragraph here in, that I just read, Paul begins really trying to contrast the life in the Spirit, the, this life that belongs to God, uh, the, the uh, life of no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, contrasting that with our old inclination, our sinful inclination to do what is wrong. Our, our, he calls it our sinful nature. He tries to draw a very sharp contrast. He says that our, our thoughts are totally controlled by whichever one we allow to control us. So our thoughts are either always controlled, constantly being drawn towards sin and away from God, or our thoughts are on God's will and trying to do what is right. He, he says then that it's, our thoughts then lead either to life when, when we focus on the Spirit, or our thoughts lead to death when we allow our sinful nature to control our thoughts and lead us down that path. And if we're paying close attention in this passage, we recognize that the, the, the Apostle Paul is, is saying it is 100% it is true, it is the reality that we do not have to be controlled by that sinful nature. So much of Christianity in, in America and our popular culture today, it, it says, well... I think that I will get as far as forgiveness in this life 
And then I'll just keep needing forgiveness over and over and over again. And I'll never get beyond just sinning quite a bit. And thank God there's lots of forgiveness and grace available because that's, that's what my life is always going to be. Paul is saying very clearly in these passages, in, in this paragraph here, that there is a chance. There is a chance that we could let the Spirit control our minds and, and thoughts. That we could, we could be so filled with the Spirit that our thoughts don't lead us down the path of death. That we could actually have thoughts that lead to life. That, that our minds could dwell on things that lead us to life rather than to death. He, he says that, that those things that, that draw us to death, that, that that mind, that mind just, it doesn't please God. It is hostile to God, in fact. And so we are called to continue to allow the Spirit to, to work in us. As we move along in this passage, we read about how it happens. Paul has a vision for how it happens we read in verses 9 through 11, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body, it, even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies in this, by the same Spirit living within you. So the life that Paul is talking about is, is possible by the Spirit the Holy Spirit taking up residence in our lives. He says the Spirit has to move in. When we look at the scope of Christianity in the Bible, when we look at the, the early church, we recognize that there is an important movement of the Holy Spirit through, throughout the church, in the church. Jesus spoke to his disciples in the upper room. He told his disciples, you're really, you're really upset because I'm going away. And I know that that's the reality of your lives right now. But he says, it's better for you if I go away. It's better for you if I go away because then I can send the Spirit. And the Spirit will lead you into all truth. Jesus then, when, when he had raised from the dead at the end of the book of John, he, he breathed on his disciples he breathed on his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's another vivid portrayal of the Spirit being given to the disciples in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts really begins with this bang, right, of the day of Pentecost. When the believers are gathered in the upper room, they already have a relationship with Jesus, right? They know who Jesus is. They, they have been in Jesus' presence. They are, they are forgiven and saved. But then, as they're praying in the upper room, the Spirit descends, and it causes chaos. It causes utter chaos when the Holy Spirit is given to the church. And then from then on, whenever you read in the, in the book of Acts of somebody being baptized, almost immediately, in, in most cases, the church gathers around that individual, lays hands on them, and prays that the person who has just been baptized will receive the Holy Spirit. 
I really, I, I've caught that. I believe in doing that. Every time we baptize somebody, we lay hands on them and pray for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit because I think that's the pattern of the book of Acts. Since, since biblical times then, the church has had all kinds of different experiences of the Holy Spirit and all kinds of different ideas about how the Holy Spirit is, is given to Christians, how it looks in the church, and all, all sorts of different beliefs about what the Holy Spirit does and how we know if somebody has received the Holy Spirit. And it's all interesting. Sometime, if you'd like to hear about all of them that I know, let's go to lunch. And I'll tell you for, for an hour straight different ideas about how the Holy Spirit works in the church. Uh, it's all fascinating. But since this isn't daylight savings time week and I don't have an extra hour to preach, <laughs> let me just give you the right answer. Uh, or or let, you tell, let me tell you what I think at least. As the book of Romans has led us through through up to this point. We, the book of Romans takes us from, from knowing what is right and doing what is wrong. In, in chapter 2, the law was given, we knew what was right, we chose wrong. As, as we move forward, we understood that there, there was forgiveness offered by, by Jesus. We were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We understood that all of the gifts of God were offered to us if we simply believe the promise that God has offered them to us. In faith, we receive what God offers us. We receive forgiveness. We, we go on the right path with God by, by simply believing the promise that he has given us. Once we hit chapter 6, we, we begin to understand that there's more than just forgiveness that God wants to do in us. He wants to set us free from slavery to sin. We, we get to, to uh, Romans chapter 6 then, and we read a couple of key passages in, in Romans 6.16, Paul says, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Then again in verse 19, he says, now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteousness, living so that you will become holy. As Paul in, in Romans chapters 6, 7, and 8 has been talking about this reality of of living in victory, of hearing God's voice and doing God's will rather than being drawn constantly toward our, what our sinful nature wants. He, he's talking about choosing to commit ourselves completely to God. But we believe that this comes with the filling of the Holy Spirit, that, that the, whole, the filling of the Holy Spirit comes. It's after, after that initial forgiveness that we receive from God that there is another move of God's grace that can happen in the life of a believer. There is another move of grace that can happen after we have initially started a walk with God where, where we would be fully filled with the Holy Spirit, where God would move and, and would completely refine us. And I believe that Romans 6 clearly points out that there is one, one prerequisite on our behalf to receiving this gift of God, this second, second move of God's work in our lives. And that is that we would completely give ourselves to God's work. That we would say, God, I no longer want to be a slave to sin. I want to be completely committed to you. God, here I am, all of me, take it all, do what you will with it. 
we believe in the Church of the Nazarene that that, that is, is the, one, the one step that's required for us to receive this full filling with the Holy Spirit. That all, all we do, we don't fill ourselves with God's Spirit. We simply say, God, here I am, do what you can. All of me, here I am, do what you can. We, we believe that it's just that one, one step. And so here in Romans 8, Paul is describing what this looks like. And it is, it is willful, willful possession by the Holy Spirit. And, and I use the word possession. Possession is the right word. <laughs> possession is a weird word in our world, right? Because possession has this idea of like someone being possessed. We are willfully allowing the Spirit of God to possess us in our spirits, in our lives. It's pretty, it's pretty bizarre in our world. We are saying the, the Spirit of God is better than the Spirit in me. And so Spirit of God, come in. But Paul also describes it as possession as in we belong to God. He uses the imagery of slavery. It's not a comfortable image. It's not something that we, we love to talk about, but we, we allow ourselves to become possessions of God. God, I'm, I am here. I'm in your hand. Do with me as you please. That, that is, is what Paul is describing here in this passage. But Paul immediately says it's not about simply becoming possessions of Jesus. God doesn't make prisoners who are stuck doing his will. God invites us into his family, as he says in verses 12 through 14. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Remember, you were slaves to sin, Paul says, and now you can be a slave to righteousness. Uh, you're no longer under obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And so Paul, as he's, as he's contrasting the, the way that follows the sinful nature and the way that follows the Spirit, he, he talks about how life of the Spirit is, is a life of freedom. It's a life we, we, were, we were committed fully and under obligation to do what our sinful nature wanted us to do. But if we allow the Spirit to take, take up residence, we're set free from that. We're no longer under obligation. And we have the choice, we have the, the freedom to do what God wills. You know, we go from being motivated by our own selfish desires to always looking out for ourselves, to, to being motivated by what God wants to actively choosing what is good for our well-being rather than actively choosing what is destructive to ourselves and to our relationships. And so, as, as Paul contrasts the, the being controlled by the sinful nature, uh, he, he reminds us that for so much of our lives, we live as if sin is our job. And, and we, we sin as if it, if it is the one thing we are created to do. Paul even talks about how we're compensated for it. The wages of sin is death. That we had no choice in the matter. We had be become slaves. 
But by following Jesus, by following Jesus, we're, we're broken free from slavery. And we're not simply broken free from slavery, slavery to a different slavery. But as he says in verse 14 here, we're called and we can become children of God. We are welcomed into God's family. And so becoming family members, he, he describes that a little bit more in these last few verses, verses 15 through 17. Let me read for you. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Abba is like daddy. Like that's an intimate word for calling a father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his sufferings. So Paul, Paul tells us the difference here. The difference is, is slavery versus being welcomed into the family. Uh, there's, there's two important, important things that are, are revealed in this last paragraph, I think. The, the first, let me, let me do, do them out of order. Paul, Paul says that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And it says, Abba, Father. We, we believe that we can hear from the Holy Spirit that this is true in our lives. We believe that there, there, is, there is a voice of the Spirit that, that tells us, yes, we have experienced God's grace. We believe that on every step of the, the journey of grace, on this life of grace, we believe that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our sins are forgiven. We believe that the Spirit of God will tell us, you are forgiven. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know that for, for many of us, faith, is, is difficult, right? Faith is, is being sure of things that we don't see. We, we believe that, that God, God's Spirit will testify to your spirit, that God's Spirit will talk to you and tell you, yes, yes, you are on the right path in God's grace. Yes, you have received forgiveness. Yes, you have received the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and, uh, we, we really honestly believe it. And, and so I know for folks who, who struggle with understanding this faith, um, sometimes we just have to, to pray, God, would you, just, would you just make it sure in my heart? Would you, just, would you just do this thing where your spirit works with my spirit to affirm that I'm, I'm in your hand, God? Would you just speak to me so that I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt? Because we believe that along every step of the journey in, in God's grace, he wants to tell our hearts, yes, yes, you are with me. Yes, you are forgiven. Yes, you are walking the right way. And so that's, uh, that's good news for us. That God would, would give us confidence to know that, that we are walking with him. Then moving backward in this passage up a, a verse, Paul says, uh, instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. 
God welcomes us into his family. I've been thinking, we have so many examples of adoption in, in our congregation uh, throughout the age range. It's, uh, it's remarkable. I have a dear friend from college who, who's got a six-year-old that, that he has adopted, and it was a long process. They adopted from foster care. It was a long process. There, there was that long period of time, several years, where, where they were fostering this, this beautiful young girl, and they were, they were raising her as, as if she was their own. But knowing all along that not every signature had been signed, not every dot I had been dotted, not every T had been crossed. And they, their hearts never changed, right? They, they, wanted, they wanted what was best for this, this little girl. They were working with her family and it just became evident through, through the course of the years that it was going to be best for, for the, the family, the, the biological family, was not going to get to a place where they could offer her the best environment. And so the, my, my friend, um, he's, um, he's a doctor up in, in Post Falls, was, uh, they made it official. The, the day came. When, when the child was adopted and she got a new last name. She was, she was welcomed into the family. Um, they, they have one biological son that's a couple years older. He, they became brother and sister. They've been raised almost, you know, with the hope. But on that day that, that the papers were signed, that they stood in front of the judge, it became completely, it became official. My, my buddy, um, who's the dad, uh, he, he became officially and legally dad in that moment, right? He became officially and legally. And, and it, it forever, forever from that moment on, right? Because there was always a chance up until that moment that something would change, that, that it wouldn't work out the way that, that they had hoped, that, that it wouldn't, wouldn't end up that she would become a part of the family. But from that day on, he was her father without question. Uh, there, were, there were no longer any, any, any chance that she could go back to being a part of, of the old family because she was a part of the new family. She, she was forever, forever a daughter of, of my friend. When, when we walk with God, we, I, I think of the Robert Frost poem. We, we, are given, we are given paths to trod, right? We're given paths to take. It, Jesus talked about how there's a wide path, and a broad gate, and, and many walk through that, and there's a narrow path and a, a narrow gate that, that only a few will find. We are, we are invited onto this narrow path where, where God is calling us and, and offering us his grace and his spirit. He's offering us welcome into his family. And he says, you, you, simply, you simply need to believe that I'm, I'm doing it and I will bring you into my family, and I'll make you one of us.
I'll make you, I'll make you a co-heir with Jesus. I'll bring you along and you will be my child. And I will always be your father. And, and God invites us to live that and to, to follow that path for, for not just life, but for eternity. Because I believe that, that the paths that are, are offered to us in this life set our eternal trajectory. The paths that are offered to us now, we, we can either decide, I want the Spirit of God in me so that I can continue to draw closer and closer to Jesus, so that I can continue to hear his will and do that which God is calling me to. And, and if we choose that path and we continue to walk down that path, then we will pass from life into eternity and we will just keep drawing closer to God. We can choose the other path, though. We can choose the other path and, and we can choose when we hear what God wants to say, no, I think I'd rather go my own way. I think what my plan is is better than God's plan. We can, we can decide, I don't, I don't need to be adopted by God. And, and when we choose that path, our life on earth sets our eternal trajectory further and further from the heart of God. And so this morning, I just encourage you to, to invite God's spirit to move in you. To say, to say, I no longer want the path that leads away from God's heart. I want the path that leads to, to the Spirit of God filling me and working in me so that I could be a child of my Heavenly Father, so that I could be adopted into His family. We believe that this, this incredible work of the Spirit comes when we, when we simply say, here I am, God, all of me. Do what you will. So as we pray, I invite you to, to just give, give God you, all of you. Will you stand with me and let me pray for you? Our Heavenly Father, our merciful and gracious God, we thank you for, for this time that we have been allowed to come into your presence and worship you. Lord, we, we have worshipped you uh, through song, through prayer, through giving, through the hearing of your word. Because, Lord, we are created to worship you. We recognize, God, that often we, we understand that we are created to worship and we forget that it's you that we are created to worship. Today, Lord, remind us that what our hearts are longing for is you. That what we, what we want is your spirit dwelling in us so that we can know and do what you desire, God. We believe when, when we receive your spirit, when we walk in, in the life belonging to Christ Jesus, when we obey in this new way of obeying the Spirit, 
as Paul says. We know that we are becoming more and more what you have created us to be. And so, God, we know that you, you simply ask that we, we open our hearts and we give you all of us. Here we are, Lord. Here we are, all of us. As individuals, we open our hearts to you. We say, God, here I am. Do with me as you will. Save me from slavery to sin. Save me from constantly knowing what is right and doing what is wrong. Free me from that, Lord, that I may walk in your spirit. Here we are, God. We recognize that this is who you have created us to be because when you created Adam, you breathed your spirit into him. You breathed your spirit into Adam. And so, God, here we are. Breathe your spirit upon us. As individuals, here we are. Breathe your spirit into each of our lives. And as a congregation, God, here we are. Breathe your spirit into this body. Into these men and women who want to follow you. Who want to be your hands and feet in our world, Lord. Breathe your spirit upon us. We are ready to receive it. Our hearts are open. Our lives are ready. We want what you want for us, God. We don't want it just one time on a Sunday morning either, Lord. We want to walk out of this place as men and women receiving your spirit, walking in the power of your spirit. And so, God, continue to breathe upon us. As we go to, to our world this week, Lord, keep breathing your spirit on us. Keep reminding us that you have all of us. We don't want any. <laughs> we want you to take it all, Lord. Continue to, to move in the power of your spirit in our lives, Lord. We thank you, God, for your good plan when you created us. Help us to live it. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hear it again. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when you were adopted as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. Go in the presence of your father. You are dismissed.